Hey, Pastor Stephen here. Welcome to the Abundant Springs podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to check us out online at AbundantSprings.Church. And now, on to this week's message. Friends, today I wanted to start off much the same way, with the same line of thought as I did in the first message in this message series called When the Dead Live. In that series, I asked you to take a moment and to consider what the first thing is that comes to your mind when you hear the word Jesus. And I also asked you to consider what's the first thing that comes to mind for your friends, for your neighbors. This morning, what I'm asking you to consider is what image or emotions come to mind when someone uses the word sin. And since we're online here today, I thought that this would be a great opportunity as I continue on for you just to to type in your answer if you're willing to share it down below in the comments section. This is a great way for us to uh, just be able to connect with you and and hear from you today. We want this to be as interactive as possible. And so, so what is it? What's that image? What's that thought, that picture that comes to mind when someone says the word sin or when you begin to think of sin? For some of us, perhaps, it it might be the thought, the image of an angry God, right? Someone talks about someone being sinful or someone talks about sin and and we start to imagine a God who is just judgmental, who who is angry, who is abusive, who's allowing things to happen that we don't agree with, that we don't think should be allowed to happen and and perhaps it even raises the question within your mind, why is God so angry? right? Why is God mad at me? I'm a good person. After all, my motives aren't to do bad things, right? Your your motives aren't to do bad things. Sure, you do things that aren't great sometimes, but that's not your motivation. That's not what you set out to do. And so you couldn't possibly be bad, could you? You couldn't possibly be a sinner. So maybe it's an angry God, or maybe it's this. Maybe it brings up the trauma of the past. At some point in your life, you may have been told that you weren't good enough. At some point in your life, you might have been called an abomination before God. If you're going to do that, if you're going to participate in that, then you know what? You're just an abomination. Maybe somebody once upon a time actually went completely against what scripture says and they told you that because of the sin in your life, God hated you. Can I just stop right now and let you know God loves you. God loves you. No matter who you are, he loves you. But what's the picture that comes to mind when you think of of sin? Maybe you think of shame. There's a shame in your life, something that you just don't feel good about. Maybe you think of disappointment. You think of the look in your parents' face when you told them something. Or you think of the look that someone might have if you were to tell them the things that are truly going on in your mind, the things that are truly going on in your life. Whatever it is, I'm sure the word sin, it brings up all kinds of images. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, most of us have heard the word sin and most of us have something that we think of when we think of sin. I know for myself, when I am talking with people about Jesus, about my faith, about what I believe, I don't usually go out of my way to bring up sin. 
Because frankly, I know it's going to set people off. I know that people don't really like talking about it, or if they do, it's because they, they want to rip into me about my views on, on what it may be that is sin. It sets people off, right? But at the same time, if someone is going to talk about their faith in Jesus and why he matters, then at some point, sin is going to have to come up. It's just a, a fact of the Christian faith is that sin has to come up. In fact, I wonder here today, if you had a friend come up to you and, and say to you, do you think that I'm a sinful abomination because of this thing? That while you know in your heart that the answer would be no, that there's sin in their life, but that God loves them so much, that God created them, that you may not know how to express it. Or that perhaps the initial reaction you have when you think about sin makes it difficult for you to bring things across in a way that you feel comfortable speaking. You don't want to condone, but you also don't want to condemn. I think a lot of us secretly have this fear, or if you're somebody that's not a follower of Jesus, maybe this is a fear that you hold in a different way. Maybe your fear is that somebody's going to think this of you. Or your fear is that, that God thinks this way of you. And today, we're going to look at what is sin? How do we talk about sin? How do we understand sin? After all, in this message series, the, when the dead live, we're talking about the fact that, that each of us needs to be plugged into God, our creator. We're relational beings. And in this time where we're encouraged to stay apart, it can become even more difficult for us to maintain that relational element in our lives. But see, we're also relational beings in that we're meant to be connected to the life giver and sustainer, our God, through Jesus Christ. And sin is something that has disconnected us. And Jesus offers us a way to be plugged back in. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as today many of us come before you with our hearts full of fear or anxiety, of mistrust, of disappointment, I ask right now that you will bring us your peace, that you will help us to lay the things that are weighing on our shoulders, on our minds, upon you. Lord, right now I ask that you would be present in each of our homes in each of our lives, that as we consider what it is that you want to say to us today about sin, about your love, God, that we would have ears to listen. Lord, I ask right now that you'll take these feeble human words that I'm about to speak and that you'll make them something worthwhile through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I think that when we tackle the topic of sin, the very first thing that we need to do is go to the very beginning of the Bible. That first book in the Bible, Genesis, the first place where we hear about sin, where we learn the significance of it, what's going on with sin. I, I think this is something that we need to do. So I'm going to encourage you, if you have a Bible at home, go to Genesis, first book in the Bible, if you've you got a full Bible. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. This is uh, in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is in the first part of the Bible. It's the Hebrew scriptures. It's the part of the Bible that was written before the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus. 
And when we come to this, we're going to, to find a story about the origin of sin, and the origin of suffering and death. And so I encourage you right now uh, to turn in your Bibles there. It'll also be on the screen below me, or you can follow along by going to ASCC.life and tapping on the message notes button that you'll see there. And that'll take you to a place where you can follow along and take your own notes during this message. This is what we read. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Now, let me stop here. Yes. Okay, this story has a talking serpent in it. And I, I'm just asking right now, especially if you're someone you didn't grow up in church or, or you're, you're on the fence about whether you can believe this stuff, will you just suspend your disbelief uh, for just a moment? Because it's really the point of this passage that I want to bring across, more so than whether or not it, you know, the devil actually came to Eve as a serpent or anything like that. Uh, just suspend your disbelief. And, and I encourage you, lean in as we talk about this here. And so the serpent said, did God really say to you, Eve, that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden. Did he really say that to you? Eve says, of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it because if you do, you will die. You won't die, replied the serpent to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and she ate it. And then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together and covered themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden. So I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And the man replied, it was the woman that you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. This here, this is the first act of sin. It's the act that brought sin and death into the world. This is the reason why everyone right now is so panicked about COVID-19 is, is because sin and death and, and diseases like COVID-19 were brought into the world as a result of sin. Brokenness came into the world as a result of sin. But I want you to look at what happened when Adam and Eve, when this man and this woman sinned. The first thing that happened is they realized that they were naked. Now imagine this, you have no conception of it being a weird thing to be naked, of, of the vulnerability involved in being naked. You're there, you're with your spouse, and this is just the way that you're living life, but suddenly your eyes are opened 
and you feel shame. And so the man and the woman, they hid from one another, they hid their nakedness, and they fashioned leaves to cover themselves. Now, what I really want to point out here is I don't believe that it was simply the fact that they were physically naked that was actually the problem here. What I believe is that there was an element of vulnerability that they suddenly were not willing to have. That the relationship that they had, the trust that they had for one another was suddenly breached and they wanted to hide. They wanted to hide. And then when they they heard God, they heard God walking about in the garden and and, and they didn't run up to him and go, hey, we're going to go on our mid-afternoon stroll, right? That's, That's what you're here for, God. Let's go and let's walk together. That's not what they did at all. In fact, what they ended up doing is hiding themselves again. They hid, hid their vulnerability, hid their shame. Instead of being in relationship, they hid from God. But what I really want you all to notice is that God's initial response, despite the fact that he is omniscient, that he knows everything, he knows where Adam and Eve are, he knows that they've eaten the fruit that he said not to eat, he knows that sin is now in them, but he doesn't say, you evil sinner, or anything else like that. In fact, his first response is to say, where are you? Where's the relationship? Where did you go? Why are you separate from me? And then notice that their response to God is to blame each other. They're supposed to be partners. And what do they do? Sin causes the, a breakdown in their relationship and they begin to blame one another. See, God's first concern wasn't about the sin. It was about sin's effects on the people. It was the breakdown of the relationship with him and with each other. That's what God really cared about. See, what we need to understand, what we need to understand is this, this truth that we get from Genesis chapter one, verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Listen to that. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Understand what is being said here. God exists in a relationship, perfect harmony between three persons who exist as one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a a mystery that's too hard for my brain to fathom. It's too hard for any human brain to fathom that three could be one, and yet that's what we see here. God exists within himself in relationship. And he chose to create human beings In his image. In his image. So he created us to be in relationship with God and to be in relationship with each other. In fact, that's why Jesus, when he was asked to sum up the entirety of God's law and the prophet's declarations to Israel, this is what he said. He he said, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. The whole of God's law The whole of God's purpose for us as human beings 
is a relationship with God and a relationship with others. And so it is that you could actually say that sin can be defined as a breakdown of relationship. It is a lack of true love. Let me say that again so that you can write that down. Sin is a breakdown of relationship. It's a lack of true love. And so sin isn't necessarily first and foremost about patterns or behaviors, but it's about what those things do to our relationship, to our ability to be together. You see, I love what Benjamin Franklin wrote about sin. He said, sin is not hurtful because it's forbidden, but it's forbidden because it's hurtful. So sin doesn't hurt you just because God said it's going to hurt you. God said, don't sin, don't do this thing because it's going to hurt you and he loves you and he cares about you. But too many of us spend all of our time dealing in behavior management. Hey, behavior management. We say that thing's wrong and that thing's wrong. And that's where all of our focus is. And what this does is it leads us to judge others and to judge ourselves. It it leads us and other people to get frustrated because we end up in this cycle of trying and failing, trying and failing, right? Shame and guilt and depression, all because we're trying to live rightly, but we can't do it. Now, I, I got to pause here and I, I got to make sure that you understand. I am not saying that we don't need to watch how we live, that we don't need to watch how we behave, all right? And so I'm not giving you permission when this live stream is over for you to go out and start streaming porn or for you to go out and start cheating people or, or even cheating at cards or telling a lie or, or whatever thing may be going on, you know? I'm not saying that it's okay for you to carry on that adulterous relationship, that affair that you're in or the infidelity that you're you're going through or the fornicating that's going on. I'm not saying that these, these patterns of sin are things that you should continue in. But what I'm saying is, is that we too often get caught up focusing on the wrong things. We start to think that sin and behavior management is where our focus needs to be, but that's not what I believe the focus needs to be on. It's not where it needs to be because every sinful behavior Every sinful behavior is simply a manifestation of the sin beneath. Every sinful behavior is simply a manifestation of the sin beneath. See, sin seeks to stay disconnected, to continue to exist in broken relationships, to to break more relationships. But you see, that is the reason. This this whole thing, this whole thing of of understanding that there is sin deep beneath the behaviors that it manifests as that needs to be dealt with. And that's why Jesus said in in the book of Matthew, his follower Matthew recorded a, a lot of the things that Jesus said and did in his life. And he writes this, Jesus says, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, then you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you were even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. He, he carries on later on in the same passage here. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is saying here, the law says these actions are wrong. And the law is right. These actions are not good. They're not beneficial. And I want you to notice that both of these actions, murder and adultery, they're things that break human relationships. 
They're not in God's plan for us. But see, there were a, a whole lot of religious people that were holding behavior as the ultimate standard. And so their heart was rotten, but they were, were caught up in maintaining a good lifestyle. And they would condemn anyone that didn't meet their standards of a good lifestyle. Even people that had a greater heart than them. People that, that were dealing with the sin in their heart but still had some things going on. That they, they were looking down on these people. And Jesus points out, he says, sin starts from the heart. See, it's not murder that breaks relationships, but it's that unchecked anger. That covetousness that I've got to have it or why do they have it or, or, or I need it or I can't stand that person that leads to murder. But the relationship has been broken even before the act is committed. And it's not adultery that breaks relationships and breaks marriages, but it's actually unchecked lust. It's people having these, these feelings and these desires and entertaining them in their mind and playing over scenarios in their heart that lead them not only to the action, but even before the action is committed, the heart has already been led astray. The relationship is already fraying because of the heart attitude that sin is bringing out. And so you see, we can focus on treating the symptoms, but they're just going to keep on coming back if you don't treat the root. But the message of the gospel is, is that you can't treat the root on your own. People have been trying for millennia to fix the root on their own, to legislate the behaviors to fix what's going on. And time and time again, people prove that you can't legislate these things, that you can't just will yourself to a better internal life and better behavior, but that you need something more. And God recognized that. He knows that. See, God has been pursuing humanity throughout history. Right from that moment in the garden where he went to find his friends and called out, where are you? He's been pursuing us. In fact, the majority of the Hebrew scriptures is the account of God asking his people that he had chosen to focus on, saying, where are you? Come back to me. Where have you gone? and him being rejected over and over, and yet he didn't give up. But instead, what we see time and time again, is he just said, come to me. Come to me. And when they wouldn't come to him, Jesus came to earth. You see, Jesus is God's answer to where are you? And what we really see is that Jesus reaches beyond our behavior to meet us in our separateness. He reaches beyond the bad behaviors that we're trying to manage and he reaches in to deal with the disconnect, to deal with our separateness, 
See, the truth of the gospel is not change and then be forgiven, but instead because of the forgiveness that Jesus purchased us on the cross, he says, come to me, receive my forgiveness, be brought back into who you were meant to be because the relationship with me, the forgiveness that you receive, the restoration that happens within yourself will begin to change you from the inside out. you need more evidence that God desires a relationship, that, that you are special to him. Note this from the story of creation. God created the universe with a word. But when it came to create humanity, he got down in the ground and formed us with his hands and breathed his very spirit into us. Jesus, second person of our triune God, loved us so much that he humbled himself and was born to a backwater family in Galilee. Lived a sinless life and for his troubles, was tortured and brutally murdered on a cross. But you know, Jesus' sacrifice on that cross, it broke down the barrier that exists between us and God. That thing that said the relationship is broken, you can't get to God, there's no way to him. Jesus knocks that down as he paid the price for our sin on the cross. His, his blood cleanses us. His blood offers us more. And the great news is as well is that, that Jesus didn't stay dead, but, but three days later, he rose from the grave victorious over sin, death, and Satan. And he says, what once was dead, I now breathe life into your dry bones. Come to life, people. Be brought back into a relationship with God and with others. Friends, I understand that, that we need to be sensitive to how people feel about sin. But the fact of the matter is, is that our focus must not be on people's outer works. Because if we focus on outer works instead of the inner heart, what ends up happening is, is all we're doing is bringing shame. All we're doing is bringing condemnation, especially when you're speaking to people that haven't even accepted Jesus yet. They haven't even experienced his love in their lives yet. They haven't even experienced his forgiveness for themselves yet. When all of a sudden you're like, behave the way Jesus told you, that means nothing to them in all all that it does is cause them to hide and become even more separated from God, from us, and from others. Friends, the fact is, is that we all need to stop hiding. We need to understand that when we come to Jesus, he sees us and, and he covers us, that we are freed, that we are forgiven, that we are restored. Because friends, the, the focus of the gospel is not on someone's sin. It is on Jesus' love and his grace. And I believe that our testimonies of his love and grace in our lives are the things that are going to make the greatest impact on our neighbors and our friends and on this world. See, sin is against anything 
that fosters healthy relationships between God and people and people and people. And that's why Jesus reaches beyond our behavior to meet us in our separation. Friends, can we humbly come before Jesus and allow him to do his work at the root of our being? Then can we trust him to do that work in others? Friends, Jesus loves you and accepts you just the way that you are but he loves you too much to leave you there. He says, come to me wherever you're at. I love you. I want to embrace you. And then he helps us get to where we're meant to be. And he heals our brokenness and our shame and our separation and brings us into relationship. Jesus sees you and he loves you and he's offering you life and relationship with him. I believe that when people feel seen and they know that they're seen by the one who created them and loves them despite their mistakes, it will move their soul. Jesus has opened the door, friends. The question is, will we allow ourselves to get caught up in fixing all of our sinful behaviors or will we focus on accepting the transforming power of Jesus's love and grace? What will we do? I want to end with this story. This kind of poem image, if you will. You can close your eyes or I'm, I'm actually putting up right now just a, a picture of a, a crown. The crown that God gives to his children. The crown that he says is yours if you'll just put your trust in him and accept his grace and freedom, his life. And this is what I want you to imagine. As I walk away from the crown toward the door, a cage suddenly drops in front of me. The door opens, confirming what I knew all along. I don't deserve the crown and its beauty. I walk inside the cage and see instructions written on the bars. The words describe what it takes to become worthy of the crown. If I do these things well enough, perhaps one day I will deserve that crown. I'm anxious to start following the directions. I want the crown, but I, I have to execute each step perfectly to receive it. And so I start the first step only to find out that it makes me repeat that same step over and over and over again. And so I try harder the next time, but I find myself back at that step once again. Harder and faster and stronger. I try so hard, but nothing seems to get me past step one. Sweat begins to drop down my forehead. I glance towards the door of the cage, which has been open the entire time, and through it I can see the glimmer of the crown. I think to myself, one day I'll get back to it. And I return to the first step, failure becoming my master.
Friends, don't allow your sin to define you or anyone else. Don't allow your inability to be perfect or to manage behavior to be the thing that keeps you from the grace of God that he freely gives to you. Just know that Jesus reaches beyond our behavior to meet us in our separateness. This is what I challenge each one of us to do this week. Firstly, this week, get together with one or two other people and pray for the person that you've been praying for if you picked out a person who you know who needs this message of life and hope in Jesus. And pray that God will reveal Jesus to that person. And pray for boldness in your life to share Jesus with them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, I just come before you and I ask that in the midst of any shame, any pain, any discouragement, anxiety, or fear, that you will meet us in this place and remind us that you are bigger than our brokenness. You are bigger than our fear. You are bigger than the things that we have allowed to define us for far too long. Give us courage to step into the next step of our journey with you that you have for us. Help us not to judge others on their outward behavior, but instead to love others, sharing our story of how Jesus has changed our lives. And help us to be light and love, messengers of hope to the people of Pincher Creek. In Jesus' name. Amen. There are some of you right now, you're going to become aware at this moment that there is a void inside of you. And you'll find that you cannot fill it with anything else. It's driving you to Jesus. You know, we know that we need forgiveness and that we need a relationship. We can't get to that place on our own. And this is the amazing thing about the grace of God is that God loved us so much that he became one of us in the person of Jesus who was without sin. He, he lived a perfect life, died the most brutal death for our forgiveness and wholeness. Why? So that anyone, and this includes you, who calls on his name would be saved, transformed, forgiven, brought into a relationship with him. Even right now, as we're in the presence of God, some of you are recognizing that you need the life-giving relationship that God is offering to you. His forgiveness and love is so vast through Jesus. Jesus desires to transform you. All around the internet right now, there are those of you that God has put this in front of you right now. Because you need him. You need his grace. You need his forgiveness. You need his peace. You need Jesus. And if you say, yes, that's me. Today, by faith, I turn from my sin and turn toward Jesus. Jesus, take my life. Here I am. I give it to you. Save me from my sins and be the Lord of my life. If that's your prayer today, will you say yes right now? In the comments or, or in Facebook Messenger, if you want privacy, just send us a message that says yes. 
As people are coming to Christ today, will you join your hearts with those praying around you today and pray, Heavenly Father, forgive me of all my sin. Yes, Lord. Make me brand new. Jesus, I believe that you love me. You died for me. You rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so I can follow you every day of my life. I believe you have forgiven me. So here I am. I belong to you. My life is yours. Use my life to bring you glory. In Jesus' name I pray. All around the internet right now, let's all of us just celebrate these folks' decisions together. Because this, this is a great time. This is a great celebration. And if you just gave your life to Jesus in this moment, I want to welcome you to the family of God. Listen, this is a journey. This is a process. And we want to walk with you in that. So will you please connect with us on Facebook, on, uh, on Messenger there in Facebook. Or you can email us or, or send us a text or a phone call at 403-627-3653. Let us get resources into your hands. Let us partner you, get you plugged in with a church nearby you so that you can begin to grow in this relationship with Jesus. We'll see you guys next week. God bless.